Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalogue of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to today's show of the Legendary Leaders podcast. And today, Jane Finette is going to join us. What a wonderful soul Jane is. She is British, lives in Colorado, lived in Berlin before. So she has a bit of an insight into the facets of uh, operating in multicultural organizations, but also living basically in exciting times in those different countries, which have clearly shaped her, her life, her personality. She's sharing a little bit of insight here with us today. But what is our conversation actually going to be focused on? It's going to be focused on the book that she has just recently launched called Unlocked, How Empowered Women Empower Women. So beautifully written and said, and such an important message to convey. It's a book, not just for women. Jane told me herself that actually some of her male friends and former colleagues actually have been inspired by the book too and had some aha moments from reading it. And I hope so will you. We are talking about how we can indeed see each other as the best cheerleaders we can be as sisters and how we can support each other more openly and how that can actually help and benefit us as women. We're also going to use Jane's uh, experience in large global organizations as well and get some insights into the complexity some women experience in organizations, in particular when it comes to feeling and being supported and supporting others. Why can it be so difficult from time to time? What makes it easier? What are the small steps we can literally take on a day-to-day -day basis in order to support others and make them feel supported? But let me tell you a little bit more about Jane. So Jane Finette is the founder and executive director of the Coaching Fellowship, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the development of young women leaders in social change. She's a leadership expert and certified professional co-active coach and has dedicated her life to achieving equality for women, empowering them to create impact and build the world of tomorrow today. A 2020 Women Forward Gold Award winner from the Business Council for Peace, Jane's passion, expertise and two decades of experience is anchored at the intersection of technology and human potential. At her core, she empowers individuals and communities to solve the world's largest, most persistent problems.
problems. And how she does that, she will tell us literally in a few seconds. Meet this really beautiful soul here with me. Enjoy the show. And as always, I can't wait to read and hear all your feedback. Speak to you in a moment. Oh, huge, huge welcome here to the beautiful chain. Hello, how are you doing? Oh, Kathleen, thank you. I'm super, super well today. How about you? How's it going on your side? Hey, I'm doing very well. I've uh, just finished a huge move. Um, not huge in terms of distance, but more huge in terms of moving all the household over to a different country and kind yeah. of mentally settling in again. But I'm I'm sure this is something you have experienced a few times, haven't you? Where have you lived in the world? I have. Well, I'm from the UK originally. I married a wonderful, wonderful German man uh, and moved. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I moved to Berlin to be with him, was there for five years or so, then moved back to the UK. My dad actually had taken ill at the time and it was really good to be close to home. And then in 2009, we flew the Atlantic and moved to America. So we've been there ever since. And uh, so yeah, did a few of those shipping things, also with animals, which I always find is uh, the most stressful bit of moving do you do you have pets did you move with animals too i didn't no, no. Okay. the sun was a good the thing. man and myself that was <laughs> it's it. enough <laughs> indeed and a lot of stuff even though we <laughs> yes that was enough but I, I keep hearing a lot of stories about moving animals so it seems to be indeed quite a challenge to get all the vaccination sorted and certificates and so on and so forth right it, it's true, but also when you think about it, it's surprisingly easy as well, considering it's just uh, it's fascinating. I would say that um, uh, moving back to the UK as a small island with all of its quarantine rules, that was that was much more work uh, and surprisingly easy moving animals to the US. <laughs> so thank you, United States. We um, were now the proud owners of two horses and and so I don't intend to go anywhere um, for a while. <laughs> that would be a much bigger uh, um, uh, thing to figure out. But people do it all the time, apparently. Well, once more, you trigger my curiosity, right? Not when it comes to pets and animals right away, at least. But actually, I spent the day talking to quite a few leadership teams about diversity. Right. And a variety within diversity. And as I'm sure you notice in particular in the States, diversity, inclusion, big, big topic um, mm -hmm. being discussed very diversely too. But given yes. your background, diving into different cultures, right? Getting to know different people, their personalities, their backgrounds. How do you define diversity and how have you experienced it? That's a fantastic question, you know, Kathleen, because it's something that is, is is really close to my chest. And as you said, I mean, I've lived in many different places and I've had the great privilege as well over all of these years to meet very different people from all walks of life. And, you know, I think in, in America, when we talk about diversity, there can be a quick sort of reaction to go to people of color to be in, in uh, BIPOC, um, you know, uh, black indigenous people of color. That, uh, which is critical and we it's so important and for me it's also even much more beyond that whether that's age our life experiences what country we've come from you know the nationality of our husbands or our wives you know our neurodiversity how we see the world i mean i love nothing more than to have really 
interesting, deep conversations with lots of different perspectives and opinions because it's an opportunity to learn and grow and understand uh, someone else's uh, experience of this wonderful life we get to have. You know, when I, if I think about sort of in particular some of my experiences, certainly being a Brit moving to America, this is just on a funny note for a moment and then I'll get really serious, but I... Um, People notice right away my accent and um, and I always say suddenly my IQ will go up 10 points, you know, because aren't I lucky? <laughs> That's terrific. I just I think it's very interesting how, you know, people sort of view diversity and the kind of assumptions and expectations we sort of have of of people. A sort of very real story for me was um, I was very lucky and privileged to come to America because I had been working for Mozilla, the folks behind mm -hmm. the Firefox web browser, and they relocated me to America, which was an incredible opportunity mm -hmm. uh, for me. But I found myself for the very first time an incredibly heavy engineering centric organization the found co-founder of Mozilla as a woman, incredible icon in technology, Mitchell Baker. Really, she was the only woman in leadership there. And uh, and I found myself uh, in the, the leadership team as the only other woman. And certainly for the very first time in my life, you could say I was, I think I was in my early 30s, found myself in a, uh, a very uh, different position where there was a significant lack of diversity of, you know, of gender, of course, but then therefore also uh, experiences of life and different um, backgrounds and uh, uh, and ages as well too was quite uh, homogenous uh, in the the tech scene there. So that was that was a really a, a something which I had never experienced growing up in the UK in a very multicultural, rich, diverse country this had not been quite as exposed as it was for me when I first landed in America is in Silicon Valley I should say yeah I do sometimes wonder though having lived in the UK now for quite some time I love the buzz you have in London the diversity yeah. there the openness it has changed me as a person significantly right coming home speaking to my parents it's like, like two worlds coming together in terms of yeah. openness and curiosity, better understanding, and I'm, I'm by no, nowhere near I'm perfect and understand it all. But coming back to the UK, I sometimes wonder, is it London or is it all of the UK that's highly diverse, tolerant, uh, despite the fact that I'm not a big fan of that word, um, open, accepting, yeah. you know, I, and I don't have the answer. It's just mm -hmm. a perception. I mean I mean, I think it's changed. It's changed a lot and for the better. Yes. I mean, I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s in the UK in a very small town in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the backdrop being minor strikes, bread shortages, race riots, uh, civil rights movement, and, uh, and, and actually some, you know, some of uh, the IRA uh, sort of uh, situation at that time. And it was... Um, uh, and yeah, would never see a person of color in my small world and uh, very sort of uh, uh, looking inward in itself, I think the UK at that time. And, you know, I, I say this quite often because at that time, you know, we had a female 
prime minister. We had a woman on the throne in the UK. And uh, you could mistake uh, the UK for being, you know, sort of like pretty forward when it comes to feminism and, and diversity. But I think at that time, yeah, there were many, many struggles. And uh, thankfully, with um, with immigration and uh, there's there's been many, many more opportunities for this to happen outside of London. Though, you know, you only have to look at Brexit not too long ago to mm-hmm. see how people were still feeling quite nationalistic about, about the country. Yeah. yeah. Let's pause here for one moment. Um, coming back to the topic you mentioned about women in tech, for example. Yeah. So I actually spoke to a woman in tech the other day, Asian background, working in the States, coming from a completely different background, that's philosophy, right? Oh, good for And Wonderful. deciding to just go into a different industry and expressing the interest in software and developing software engineering and whatnot, and said, hey, I can learn this. Let's do this. But goodness me, the biases she described that she faced from the start that led to the point where she said, I'm basically hiding parts of my personality, hobbies that indicate I'm too Asian, for example, Mm -hmm. or I need to make sure I come across tough and I'm a straight decision maker. I study now software engineering, trying to get my master's to be equal to uh, the men around me. All of these things. I'm not saying the male colleagues kind of demanded her to do all of that but it wasn't in a drive I need to do that in order to be good enough and Mm. to be seen and perceived as equal given your experience in particular from the coaching fellow program for example what is it we can all do to support women like this individual I was just talking about to feel more confident as a woman in a very tech oriented environment for example an environment that's still rather male focused well thanks thank you for sharing that story kathleen and and gosh very sadly i i hear that a lot and i've heard it for years and um you know i I want to think it's getting better but it's still a massive problem also just a quick sidebar love that she has a background in philosophy and how fantastic for the tech industry to have uh, well if she's trained as a computer scientist i know they've they've hired her on that point, but to have all of these other ideas and experiences and wisdom and bring that to her role, like we should be welcoming that as a, as a, if I was running the tech company, I, you know, I'd want all of those kinds of voices and experiences. And because then that means I'm building products for, uh, for everybody. And, and how do we support her? So, you know, I mean, gosh, where to start this? <laughs> There's so much. And I think they're sort of like, what can you do if you're in a position of responsibility or, you know, you're empowered and you have um, you have the authority to make a change, um, which is literally to send the elevator down and make sure that her voice is being heard, that she is, um, uh, that people are not biased against her and her work. And I think that we can and should be taking a stand for that in the workplace, though it is terrifically difficult to do that as a woman, because when we do that, we are also penalized. But there does come a time where you have to stand up and kind of stand up for her. And then I think, you know, these are the more subtle things that we know that women are leaving the workforce in droves because of the pandemic. I would also hate to see this incredible young lady leave tech 
because of this reason too. And so everything from being a sister, you know, being there for her to unpack what's what's going on, giving her confidence, helping her understand that she is more than qualified to keep her pushing forward and bringing everything that she's got to the role. You know, I think it is it is a great pity that we are still having to do this for one another. And she is going to have to do a bunch of that advocating for herself too. But we can be in a group of sisters around her to, to make sure that she can still enjoy her work. I mean, I think that's, it's just terrifically disappointing to hear that, you know, that's how she's struggling. Tracy Chow, she was one of our coaching fellows many years ago, and she was the young Asian woman that kicked off the diversity debate in Silicon Valley. You might recall the story 2014. She called out on GitHub for companies to release their diversity data for the number of women in tech and the number of women in leadership in tech. And then kind of ask people to do the whistleblowing. So kind of upload how many women were actually working in tech. And it started with a slow roll and then eventually uh, Google and Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. were forced to really share their data. And then we see now many more annual reports about the current status of, of this. So I think what we're missing still, though, is what is the experience still? So we might see a shift in the numbers. But the experience of those women showing up every day at work and trying to to thrive is a really big mixed bag. It, it is a really uh, mixed bag. But also what I notice is what are the stories we tell ourselves and mm-hmm. what role do the environments play? I think it's a combination probably of both and some other factors as well. But I did notice it in the past about myself and I do notice it still in female friends of mine who are in leadership roles and clients you know different people who tell ourselves or or themselves so many hindering stories how we are not good enough you know and that's my favorite that's my that's mine yeah and when I got trained as a coach we we kind of we called it the saboteur I know people call it the gremlin you know it's really that that little voice in your head that really doesn't want to to live your full life and keeps you playing small is so true yeah and and yet if we can start to hear more of that voice uh, and our friends can also hear that voice because I think we can we do hear resonance and dissonance and if we can call a sister out on that dissonance that we're hearing which isn't really her voice it's the voice of the saboteur that's like ah oh, I can't do this or I shouldn't do this that's yeah then we can be powerful beyond all measure Indeed. And um, you are highlighting the word sister quite often. You know, if we can help a sister, if we can support a sister and in your book, which we are going to talk about very soon, what the title of your book uh, refers to how empowered women can empower women. Tell us more about the sisters and why it is important to call the women sisters and how we can empower each other more. Thank you so much for asking. And you know what, I have to tell you, the first thing that came into my head was... uh, (laughs) which is not really where I'm going with this, but is that, you know, I'm an only child and I think I've always wanted a sister. So maybe that's why I keep, uh, I keep saying it. I just want everyone to be my sister. Um, and heck, wouldn't that be lovely actually? And uh, yeah, you know, and it, it, it's kind of why, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you asking me that question, uh, particularly because, yeah, I, I was saying sister a bunch. You know, the, the challenges for women at the moment, I feel 
are so great and we're in, by many many factors we we're going backwards not not forwards and particularly in this last 18 months of the pandemic it's been uh, incredibly hard to here's the statistics that the the numbers of domestic violence cases have uh, astronomically increased the number of girls going to school internationally is is decreased by more than 20 20 million we've got uh, women as i was just mentioning women leaving the workforce in drives because they just can't manage everything and i was motivated to write the book because i'm also seeing so many good things happening and i want us to to hold on to that and celebrate it and be part of it, but also uh, for us to really hear that there's, there's there's something we can all do, which was in which is within our control and our power. These problems can feel really insurmountable, you know, when we're still fighting for our access to our own bodies and the decisions that we make, or whether you know, fighting for equal pay, for equal work, to be safe on the streets. You know, these these should not be things that women um, should have to have to deal with wherever you are in the world. And yet, the sisterhood, the sister piece that I, you know, I'm bringing is is that actually to. Uh, hold another woman as though she is your sister is a way to be in the sorority and the support of her. We do that so naturally for for those that have good relationships with their sisters. I mean, I have to call out, maybe that's not true for everyone, of course. Uh, and we do it specifically for our girlfriends. But we don't very often do it for women or every woman in the workplace. You know, there's a very different feeling for that, a very different relationship, and we can get very confused about it. But the essence, the essence of sisterhood, of support and empowering, of wanting something more for someone than you do yourself, those natural feelings we'd have as sisters, to give that to another woman around you is, is, a, is a massively empowering act. 100% and yet... I do see more of it in the UK. I start to see more of it in Germany, but I would love to see more of it across or across the globe, really. And that's yeah. also where diversity comes in again. How can we connect more and use this virtual world we, we live in to truly support each other, to become aware of the power of this sisterhood and to, to be more curious about each other and how we can help. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, I was asked just a couple of days ago that they, they, this person wanted to talk about why don't women help women? Mm. And, uh, and they said, they actually said to me, oh, I didn't really want to ask you that question. You know, it sort of feels like taboo. And, and I'd, I'd, I'd share my answer with you as, you know, I, first of all, I, I really think that is a myth that women don't help women. <laughs> I really do. Madeleine Albright famously said something like, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women, which I love. But honestly, I, I, you know, I'm sure there were instances in my life where someone has just not helped me, but I've never had a woman do me harm. And maybe I'm naive and I've had a very privileged life and existence, you know, but I really do have not had that experience of someone not supporting me. Often you have to ask for help. You know, it is, is often on you to actually uh, request the support. Uh, so one of the, the core reasons in my interviews for the book that I heard for women not helping women was that women themselves felt disenfranchised with their 
a potential to help another woman. So number one, I'm not in a position of, of authority or responsibility, so I can't do anything. Or this is this small action that I might take is not enough to make a difference. Or back to the saboteurs we're just discussing, like, uh, who am I? Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough to help this person. I'm not, you know, etc. And so we can often take a step back instead of a step forward and mm. owning our experience and our wisdom and the potential to help. Yeah, we don't let that shine for others too. And I wonder as to whether the point you mentioned earlier on plays a role as well. So women leave the workforce because they can't manage all, despite the fact that they may want to. So the pandemic has brought higher demands on women and men as well. Um, let's not yes. forget about the men That's here, absolutely. Um, in, in this conversation. And being able to focus, to actually reflect and to think about how can I support someone? How can I be there? Let's just, you know, dial the number and call someone up and just check mm. in. Mm. I, I think it's a step that in the hurry, in a situation where you feel perhaps a bit overwhelmed, that might not been, been uh, that might not be your first choice to do. Agreed. Yeah. That's yeah. something I'm observing. Yeah. I, I think that's right. You know, sort of like if you have a spare 15 minutes, then I don't know, maybe you might sit down and scroll through Facebook or TikTok or, you know, I saw an article this morning that said something about parenting and that parents are so exhausted and when they find their time, they're kind of uh, doom scrolling, looking for throw pillows or something. <laughs> it's, it's just anything to just turn off and mindlessly have your, your brain just kind of be entertained. But calling a friend would be would be better for you but it, that just feels like another thing i have to do yeah. and that's it's super hard Kathleen, yeah oh but but you know what the most beautiful experience is indeed to be able to ask for help and to receive help so i, I said in previous episodes i am certainly not the best in asking for help and i do know that and my friends keep telling me that you've got to ask for help and something clearly holds me back but I'm improving, right? And, uh, and lately, just having, having two open ears, someone who's simply listening and mm. where you can get the feeling of, oh my God, this person gets me or gives me the time even for 10, 15 minutes so that I can simply share what's going on. That helps already. It's such a release. It's wonderful and the whole energy shift so i can highly recommend if you are similar to me and you struggle to ask for help goodness me the moment you do it um your energy shifts it changes yeah. something yeah. and it can be a woman you're talking to it can be a man you're talking to obviously absolutely another human another yes. human absolutely the connection is is so critical and yeah. I, I don't want us to forget you know obviously I, i'm kind of beating this drum about you know women empowering women if any if all else fails just know that when you are called upon for help uh you're actually really sh you know saying to that person you know i i see you i see all your wisdom your expertise i see you as a great friend for listening to me you know and it is a wonderful thing to be asked for help too i know very few people if if a woman asks them for something or any you know if if someone says, can you help me, then maybe I can't do it right now or tomorrow even, but I will come back and I'll try my best. Yeah. Agreed. We're, we're 
designed to help each other. That's, uh, not to forget that. No, and it's so precious. Yes. And let's talk again about you and your book. I said before we hit the record button, goodness me, I see you, pictures of you, pictures of your book at the moment everywhere on social media. And I mean, in the most positive sense, because honestly, those posts are so you, so authentic, so lovely, so warm. Uh, you, You build a relationship very, very quickly with the audience, at least that's my very humble opinion. And the book is called Unlocked. What are you trying to unlock in your book? <laughs> Thank you. I, um, I am trying to unlock the potential really of all of us. So particularly starting with women, but knowing that when you un- unlock the potential of a woman, you have the potential to unlock many, many more people in her wake. There's a beautiful quote, which I really hope I can remember now. I'm pulling this from my mind, which is from Rebecca Zolnit, which is which says, you know, uh, feminism isn't a scheme to deprive men, but a campaign to liberate us all. And I really do in my heart know that when we unlock the potential of another woman, we're doing that for for all of humanity and uh, we all get to benefit. And how are we all going to benefit from it? (laughs) Totally. uh, I'm a complete idealist. Did you you get that yet? Oh man. Well, you know, the evidence, the evidence is telling, which is when, you know, there are more women who sit at the negotiating table, we have less war and we have more sustaining peace. When women get more access to resources, particularly in the developing world, they will actually, the yield that they bring for food sustainability is enormous. We see illiteracy rates go down, child mortality rates go down when women are empowered. The Rainforest Alliance even will go as far as to say that women are the key to solving the climate crisis. And I I think, you know, that's clearly no it's no silver bullet for, for any of our global grand challenges, but, but having more, if we come back to the beginning of the call, more diversity in the decision-making rooms. I really believe that there is enough in this world. You know, there's enough food in the world. There's enough money in the world. It's just very poorly distributed. Mm-hmm. You know, we having another technolo- technology solution is fantastic. However, you know, what I think we need is an increase in the level of, of human consciousness and so that we can have more diverse conversations and decision making. Because, yeah, like it appears as though there is an awful lot to be done. It's just not happening in the right places with the right people. Exactly. And, and thank you, by the way, for enriching this conversation by a few new statistics who knew that the rainforest community had um, statistics about women as well? Yeah, I heard a lot about yeah. startups and when women are founders, co-founders of startups, for example, when they are part of the board. So it triggered my curiosity yet again to look up a few more um, diverse statistics here too. But this is all well and good and in theory, brilliant if we could get there and indeed increase the level of diversity and raise more awareness around the benefits um, of having women join more of the leadership teams or have to as decision makers. But in practice, how can we get there? How can we spread the word more effectively? How can we then go beyond spreading the word and really kind of 
helping people grasp it and fully understanding and noticing those benefits. Mm -hmm. How can we actually be able to encourage people to step back and to think about it more, to have those dialogues, those conversations that slowly but surely can in the most positive sense, uh, tricky to say that during a pandemic, become more contagious in yeah. order to encourage this level of diversity. It's in part, you know, why, why I wrote the book, because uh, for me, the change is not happening fast enough. You know, I'm going to be 50 soon. And I'm like, my God, you know, I can't believe, you know, I'm another generation that is having to focus on these these issues. And it's not already, we're not already done. In fact, we're slip sliding in some, some of those uh, statistics. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't have hope. Right. And we play for the long, we play for the long term. We just have to. Like it's, if we look at the results every day, it looks like glacial increase, improvement, and we can get dissuaded. And so I think we have to, that's, that's the part of this, back to sisters, of course, but let me say just the human part, because of we need all, all peoples to come together, is that by focusing on one human being in your life, like just know. Uh, I think we all know actually at our heart, you know, that the impact that we can have on one single human being is a ripple effect without end. And it is absolutely worth doing it for that one human being. And I, I do think the pandemic has been a great reminder for us to when we couldn't see our loved ones, we haven't seen our work colleagues. I know I myself, I moved from Silicon Valley to Boulder, Colorado. And I only saw my next door neighbors for basically a year, waving to them across the, the garden. I haven't stepped foot inside their house or anything like that. But, um, but how important that sense of community uh, became to me. And I do think that the other thing you said is like, how can we do this every day? Is that I do think that we need to form more habits around this. I write in the book about, I'd like us to see these very small actions we take as an act of feminism, which may light up or dissuade some of some of your listeners on the call because it can be a very charged word. For me, unapologetically, is the problems are so insurmountable that I think we all need to be feminist, men and women, um, when we look at... <laughs> and that, yeah, one, yes, that you say to that call when you said, hey, can I talk to you for 10 minutes? Saying yes to that, to helping someone with a bit of advice, giving a LinkedIn review, talking someone off the ledge for 10 minutes, you know, all of these things are actually feminist actions. And I think we can feel emboldened and empowered that we are taking progress into our own hands, that this isn't somebody else's job, this is all of our jobs. And that can be an empowering act for you in the process. So what makes them feminist actions? In, in my humble opinion, that we are, take, we are consciously uh, taking an action to be in support of a woman's growth and unlocking her potential yeah and we don't currently see it that way um and that's the for me that's the piece i would like us to see differently yeah, yeah. but this does matter it yeah. does and you clearly <laughs> focus on how can we help the people around us in particular the women around us grow and the men are then growing with us right Absolutely. It, it, yeah just i don't mean to harp on <laughs> all that no it, we need all peoples and all voices and there are 
you know, it's, it, it is getting better. It is. And I think we can all, uh, I, when you, you were mentioning before about businesses and um, whether it's women on the boards, women executives, women CEOs, evidence shows, you know, the bottom line is, is better. Employee satisfaction is higher when we have more diverse teams. Uh, and uh, so it is not only the right thing to do, which are, in my humble opinion, I think it is. And it's also just great. It's great for us all to have more women in those positions. And you haven't, as we can hopefully all notice, yet learned and researched the topic of empowering women since starting to write the book. You have been working on this topic for a very, very long time. And most importantly, you have been supporting women for a longer period of time. And you run and lead a wonderful fellowship program, for example. I would love you to share more about it with the audience in particular, how you came about it, um, doing it and founding it, but also what is it you do exactly? I started it just over seven years ago, which feels like yesterday. And the organization exists to uh, support women social change makers all around the world with access to leadership development and executive coaching. And I started the organization because I got access to coaching, really one-to-one -one incredible leadership development uh, when I had already made it. So I was already at Mozilla, I had that really big job. And uh, suddenly I was kind of anointed with um, this fantastic opportunity. And I'd had a lot of trainings and a lot of things during my career, very, very fortunate, but nothing quite like executive coaching. And I uh, was working one-on-one -on -one with a coach. Uh, to focus on my just me, <laughs> not not a group of people, but just me. It was extraordinary, and I could really get underneath what was up for me. You know, we just talked about saboteur, so I became very, very uh, aware that I, you're not good enough was my my mantra that would have me play small, so it could work through that. And furthermore, understanding what was my leadership style, like who am I at my best, who am I. What are my values? What, is, what am I here to do in this lifetime? It was absolutely invaluable. But there I was looking in the rearview mirror thinking, holy moly, why didn't I have, why didn't I even know about this when I was 25, you know? And so, I'd, I, you know, I have no regrets, but I'd have definitely done a few things differently and maybe got here faster. And I wanted that for young women. And I particularly wanted it for young women in the social impact sector. I mean, I have been a coach. I know how hard it is to be a coach. And at the same time, it is incredibly unaffordable for most people. A lot of people will get access to coaching through, through their organization, which is phenomenal. But if you're a young woman leader just starting out in your org, you are not going to be high on the list to have this great gift of coaching. And if you work in a nonprofit or you're leading a social impact startup or nonprofit, there is no money or resource for, for that. And yet it can be the differentiator of deeply increasing impact, reducing burnout and ensuring that that woman is going to be successful as she continues uh, her career. Uh, so 
what we do today is we run two really big fellowship programs. Uh, we started out, it used to be 50 women a year. Now it's nearly 300, which I can hardly believe. It's fantastic. We've supported more than 1,200 women from more than 70 countries. And they are, as mentioned, nonprofit leaders, founders, social impact entrepreneurs, activists. They work on issues as diverse as working with indigenous populations in the Amazon to rehabilitating child soldiers in Sierra Leone, water projects in East Africa. They're also community organizers in inner city Detroit, working with the homeless in San Francisco. Um, this last year, we've uh, we've worked with women frontline workers with COVID who are you know, massively on the verge of leaving the profession that we cannot do without and working with them to unlock their potential and create a community of other women around them to make sure that all those things we've just been talking about also happen for them in the social sector. I'd love <laughs> to just know a few of your success stories without obviously breaking confidentiality. But what are the changes you notice? What's the impact the fellowship, uh, coaching fellowship has got on these amazing individuals? Uh, and there are many, there are many stories. My mind just went blank. <laughs> what, what will I share? Uh, I think particularly about a, a young woman in Rwanda who um, was asked to step in and be uh, a temporary CEO who did not see herself as ever being in those shoes um, and happened to go through coaching with a coaching fellowship at that time and really grew massively as a leader. She was already doing great things, but needed really to be able to see that for herself and step into her own shoes, which she was already brilliant at and ended up being chosen as the CEO of that impact company. And so uh, it was, you know, she credits coaching fellowship as, as really helping her achieve that goal and it, I actually got in touch with her it's been a few months back now but she has uh, grown the team significantly and um, is thriving and uh, so that that's terrific another story which I um, I tell you to, to be a little bit self-deprecating actually but I think this is a massive success story like on a meta level for the coaching fellowship so we did a, a longitudinal study with the University of Southern California that followed our fellows for two years um, so um, just when they began the coaching experience and the program last six months so during that process and then for a year afterward to see what was the change if any and then how does that keep affecting uh, them as time goes on. We actually saw a reduction in their beliefs around social impact. And we were horrified because our whole work is about empowering women in social yeah. impact, right? Yeah. We're like, oh my gosh, this is awful. Like we've created a program which is going to have these women quit. And when we continue to do the research, what had happened was, and I think this is extraordinary, was that the women had done so much sort of self-work that they no longer only saw themselves as a woman in social impact, that she was also able to see herself as a mother, as a, you know, a friend, as a tennis player, as, you know, whatever it might be, you know, or someone who reads or knits or, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, um, but that her identity had become so much more expansive 
And that was a healthy sign because the women who are working in this social sector, we say very often who's helping the helpers, will burn out and will drop out of the workforce. And that is absolutely, we cannot afford that to happen. And so we want, we want them to, to dive deep into their leadership, but also to take care of themselves as well. And for me, that was just one of the, the biggest signs of success, um, even though it was terrifying uh, when we got the first results <laughs> oh, back. <I> <laughs> Oh my goodness, but what a wonderful course to work for, to live for, to do. And honestly, your energy just went right up there when you started talking about it. Um, there's Thank so much you. love behind it as well. And I don't know if that's the best segue into the question, but indeed you mentioned before, and you know, I thought about what am I here in this life for to do, to achieve? What is it that you, what, what are you here for in this world? Big question, philosophical question. I was going to say, oh, this is a mic drop kind of moment. Don't mess it up, uh, Fanet. Um, yeah, you better don't. <laughs> I, I, of course, speak for myself. And yet I think that I think it's probably true of every human being, which for me is to help every every person and every living thing reach its full potential. Like every person, every living thing, whether it's your potted plant or your dog or, you know, <laughs> is that when we show up with love to bring out the best in others, like this will, you know, it already is, but will be an even more incredible world that we all get to, to share in this lifetime. Oh, wonderful. Um, another amazing guest chain, yeah, who I could talk to forever. And we noticed that in the last conversation already, right? We had literally had to stop ourselves. But before we stop this recording, tell us a little bit more about what's what comes next with regards to the coaching fellowship. What comes next with regards to Unlocked? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, so Unlocked is out October 18th. So I'm getting ready for that. It is my, it's my first book. So this really does feel like a roller coaster. And I am learning a lot and I'm being humbled a lot as well. It's definitely, um, I've been asked what's the most, uh, uh, most difficult part about writing a book. And uh, every time I say, this part <laughs> i'd really like to write another book uh, don't not not so much about putting yourself out there and, and encouraging people to buy the book but i'm learning how to do that and i only have to think of you know in my heart why i decided to write it in the first place and um it's it's okay it's okay i'm enjoying it and then for coach fellowship so looking toward 2022 uh we have two big fellowship programs we have an evergreen program which is the nightingale fellowship which is started as a COVID response and has now become a an annual uh, program which is specifically working with women on the front lines of um, of healthcare, mental health and well-being and then looking to stand up another evergreen program about women's working to solve the climate crisis and dealing with the fallout of the current effects and future effects of climate crisis as well so that's a big a big thing for us so we're definitely keeping busy there's a lot of incredible young women doing awesome things and we we want to help them. Wonderful. Jane, where can we find out more about you? Where can we find your book in particular? Because when this episode's being launched, your book is out already. So do let the audience know. Fab. Well, yes, you can. Uh, so Amazon, of course, is all of our friends. <laughs> 
for better or worse. Um, and so if you search for Unlocked or and or Jane Fennett, you'll absolutely find it. Also, if you happen to be in the US, Barnes & Noble are stocking it too. Personally, if you want to reach out to me, which I'd be delighted, uh, I have my own website that's janefinette.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'd certainly love to hear from you. And then if you'd like to learn more about the Coaching Fellowship, uh, become a supporter in any way, that would be just incredible. We are a 501c3 uh, nonprofit um, and so really rely on, on financial support. So if you were moved, I'd, that would be just wonderful. And our website for the Coaching Fellowship is at tcfs.org, tcfs.org. And um, thank you for, for taking a peek. Thank you so much. And as always, we go on to publish all of these links as well on the show notes on my website, all social media channels. So please do look it up as well. And then visit Jane, at least virtually, as well as the wonderful coaching fellowship. Jane, thank you so, so much for being on the show, for being an incredible guest, so insightful, inspirational and warm in particular. It has been wonderful to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kathleen. To everyone out there, stay safe, look after yourselves, ask for help and support others, please. It's been a joy sharing this episode with you and I can't wait to do so again in two weeks' time. Take good care. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.